these things might sound intimidating. They might sound hard. Keto might sound hard. Fasting might sound hard. Doing some of these sprints might sound difficult. Some of this training, but it's not. It's actually it's actually fairly easy. Maybe simple is a better word. It's very very simple. It might not be easy to execute on it because you haven't done it before. Well, if you haven't done it before, guess what? It probably will be kind of hard at first, but it will get easier, get better. You can train your willpower. You can train your、um, your dedication. You can train all these things over a period of time, and you can become more dedicated. You can have a stronger willpower. It's just like any other muscle that you have in your body. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Seamland, and our guest today is Mark Bell. Mark is a world record-holding powerlifter, entrepreneur, former pro wrestler, and owner of the Super Training Gym. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. Great, great to be on here. Yeah, we.、Uh, I was on your podcast a few weeks ago, and we talked about fasting, etc. And I just, I've actually been watching your content and your. Kind of accomplishments on social media for a long while, so it's good to、uh, meet, let's say, across the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, you know, I've seen a lot of your、uh, YouTube videos, and then、uh, probably one of the more compelling ones I've seen is some of the stuff you've done with、uh, Elliot Hulse.、Hmm. And、um, you know, list. I think you were interviewing Elliot. He was saying, you know, how he's read some of your books and tried some of your techniques and stuff, and.、Um, You know, I I was already listening to some of the stuff that you were saying as well, but I was like, oh shit, okay. Well, if Elliot's doing it now, that really、uh, gives it even more validation. I'm a huge Elliot Holes fan, so anyway, it was、uh, you know the information that you put out there is、uh, really helping a lot of people, so I appreciate it. Well, thanks for that.、Uh, but you know, let's talk about you、uh, as well. So there was that, that's kind of quite a, like a long resume you have there, and you've done many different things. So maybe give like a brief、uh, kind of backstory about. Where you're coming from, and how, did, and how did you end up here? I started lifting when I was 12, and I, I've always been drawn to、uh, muscle. I've always been drawn to being bigger and being stronger.、Um, I can remember when I was probably maybe like nine or ten. I was watching、uh, WWF wrestling at the time,、hmm. and、uh, Ted Arcidi came on the screen. And Ted Arcidi was a professional wrestler, but he was also a powerlifter. And he bench pressed seven hundred and five pounds. He was the first guy to bench over seven hundred pounds. And I, I said to myself, you know, I, I, I want to do that one day. That whatever that is, like that looks exciting. That looks really fun.、Mm-hmm. I want to be big and strong like that someday. And so, that kind of kicked the journey off. And lifting has always been there for me. I've,、um, I've never really stopped. I've always kind of、um, thought I was going to do other things. I, I did track. I did boxing. I played basketball. I played football. Um, and I did professional wrestling for several years, but I kind of fall short on all those other things、uh, in comparison to what I was able to do lifting-wise.、Hmm. And so I, I guess maybe when I was young, I, I didn't really know that you could like just be a lifter. I thought you had to kind of like lift for other stuff. <laughs> and、uh, I, I wasn't really interested in bodybuilding, so I never really went that route when I was young. Although I appreciated bodybuilding and liked.、Uh, I followed like Arnold and a lot of the bodybuilders, but、mm. it wasn't something I was going to pursue myself. I was more into strength, and the gyms that I went to, they were into strength too. And even at a really young age, fourteen, fifteen years old, the gyms I'd go to, they would bench squat, deadlift,、uh, do bent over rows, heavy overhead presses, all the basic exercises that are still around today and still really effective.、Mm. And you know, I was really, really drawn to that, and I. You know, learned at a young age how to do those exercises、um, properly. The squat took a really long time for me to get get a handle on it, but、um, you know, so I, I stuck with it for years and years, and ended up、uh, breaking some like state records and things like that in high school and some national records even. And then as I kind of got older, I started pursuing football a little bit more. Went to a junior college. Schools I was never really good in school, so school didn't work out well for me, and.、Uh, You know, couldn't figure out how to graduate from even just a junior college, and so, you know, my football career kind of ended when I kind of recognized I just wasn't as talented as I thought I was. I was fast and I was strong,、um, but that's only one. Those are only you know two components of、uh, being good on a football field. There's a lot, many other components that that go into it. When I realized, 
you know, I don't move like some of these other guys. I'm not athletic like some of these other guys, and I'm not as big as some of these other guys. So, uh, and I thought that was a good thing. You know, I don't think that was a bad thing. You know, I played uh, junior college football with uh, Chad's with um, uh, Chad Smith and uh, or uh, Ocho Cinco, they call him nowadays, and uh, you know, and I played with some really really good uh, Steve Smith, who's also going to be a Hall of Fame wide receiver. So I played with some really good football players. So I recognized, I was like, I'm not like those guys. And later on in professional, in professional wrestling, you know, I wrestled with guys like John Cena. My brothers and I helped John Cena get into professional wrestling when we were at a place called UPW in uh, uh, Southern California. And, um, you know, I poured a lot into wrestling and I worked on it a lot but when I recognized the talent pool that I was up against it wasn't like I quit I was just like okay <laughs> I, I can't foresee uh, anything in the near future where I can figure out a way to be like these guys or to be as good as some of these guys and so I moved on mm-hmm. and that's when I moved on into kind of full-time powerlifting and becoming a professional powerlifter owning my own gym and then later, you know, the inventions and stuff came because all I thought about day and night was <laughs> lifting and getting stronger. Well, yeah, it's, I, I think like, like you're a good example of uh, how you maximized your strengths instead of trying to compensate for your weaknesses, so to say. So we all have our, you know, certain uh, predispositions and genetic factors that determine what are we good at and what sports specifically and what kind of activities we excel and it's very difficult to try to make up for your weaknesses. And uh, in, like I would imagine most people would be actually much more happier and they would benefit more. They would be more successful in, in total if they were actually focus more on just what makes them good and what makes them unique in this sense. So I think you're, you're yeah. a good example of that. Well, thank you. I think it's probably a lot easier for people to figure out who they're not mm. than it is for them to figure out who they are because trying to land on who you are could could take you until you're like in your 40s like myself but to figure out who you're not is actually fairly easy you know when you look at social media and you look at some of these people that are executing really well that are super popular that are getting a lot of likes and comments and Hmm. it's easy to to sit there and and kind of look at that and think to yourself I'm not really like that guy I'm not really like that girl like I'm not you know six five I'm not I'm not the rock right like it's easy to point out that you're not the rock and so you can kind of start there and you kind of, not that you're trying to pick yourself apart and not that you're really trying to be like anybody else, but recognizing, you know, what lane is going to develop and what lane is going to open up for you, I think is really, really important because a lot of people are, it's great that people have dreams, but they're not really aligning some of their actions with their dreams. And so therefore it's a good idea to at least be a little bit realistic about what's going on and something that helped me years ago is my dad said, you know, part of knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. Mm. And that helped me a lot, especially in powerlifting because I, you know, wanted so badly to be like the greatest powerlifter of all time. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's certain things that are kind of out of your control and there's certain things. It's like, if if you're not going to align everything that you have with that dream, then it will never become a reality. Unless, unless you have some great genetics behind you, you might be able to get away with uh, a little bit of slack here and there. But for the most part, you got to put everything you have into it. And when I look back at it and I think about it, it's like that never actually even made any sense for me anyway, because I was happy with just getting better. Mm -hmm. I was happy with improvement. Improvement is progress. Progress is success, you know? And so I think that people, you know, they have so much anxiety nowadays and they're so worried about um, they're so worried about like where they're going to be in the next uh, couple months or next year or two. And mm-hmm. they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And it's like, let's just slow down a little bit and let's just try to be a little bit better than we were yesterday. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about nutrition and a good place to start with nutrition would be, let's not talk about fasting or let's not talk about like a carnivore diet. Let's just start with you maybe not drinking five sodas every single day. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's a good point. So, so, so to say the people, especially in the age of social media, they just have like this uh, anxiety as well as like fear of missing out, especially when they compare themselves with these, you know, high level uh, athletes or high level uh, entrepreneurs or, or something else that may not be their thing. And but just because 
this particular culture or this day and age is kind of putting those uh, activities on a high pedestal, then they feel inferior. Uh, whereas in reality, they shouldn't because, you know, they may not be that kind of a person uh, who fits the kind of cultural idealization at, that, at this particular moment. And who knows, maybe like in a few years, that's going to change. And uh, then their time will come in a sense that then they are more prepared for the uh, that you know what's trendy in in the future, so to say. So you shouldn't think about okay, what's trendy right now. You should again like focus on uh, what makes you best and uh, try to cultivate your own uh, path to mastery. I agree a hundred percent. And with strength training, you really learn that because there's uh, no possible way of being strong unless you take your time. It takes a long time. It takes a long time to acquire muscle mass. It takes a long time to get strong. You might see somebody, you know advance to a 500 or 600 pound deadlift fairly rapidly but even with them for them to go to 600 to 700 could take them years could take them and in some cases somebody might uh you know go from 600 to 700 pounds in the course of five or six or seven years like that's a really long time so strength training that's one thing i really love there's two things i really love about it one is that anyone can do it Mm -hmm. anyone can go inside a gym and move around some weights i mean you even see uh, you know, guys with no legs going in the gym and, and training their arms. And you even see guys with no, uh, no arms going in and training their legs. We got one of our friends uh, that comes here, um, a, a military veteran. He had his leg blown off in the war. He's uh, squatting, you know, 500 pounds and deadlifting 600 pounds. Anyone, anyone can pick up some weights. Anyone can yeah. strength train. And the other thing I love about it is that <laughs> nothing's like given to you. You can't just you can't acquire it. You can't go and buy it. You can't, it's not for sale. You know, they say time's not for sale. Well, neither is muscle and neither is strength. It it just takes a really long time to acquire those things. And it takes a tremendous amount of uh, mental toughness due to the fact that it requires so much damn consistency over such a long period of time. Yeah. It's it's such a perfect example of uh, mastery as well as just personal development in general it requires so much dedication and commitment yeah and you know even if you are like a genetic freak and you're very strong you're not going to be able to progress over the course of decades if you're not uh, doing it consistently and working out every week and all the time kind of uh, paying attention to your nutrition and the general health so yeah anyone who thinks that you know weightlifters are just meatheads or something like that they don't really they probably don't understand how much effort and mental gymnastics actually goes into uh, the sports and especially like competitive powerlifting, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool that uh, exercise really trains your brain a lot too. Yeah. And then, then when you're working on your mental capacity and you're working on things like personal development or doing interviews like this, um, maybe even taking, maybe going to a seminar um, how exhausting is that? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You go to a seminar, you know, go to one of these big like leadership seminars or go to one of these seminars where there's five or six speakers or some of the things that you go to the keto conferences and things like that. Go to one of those things and you go come out of there. It's way worse than a workout. <laughs> so yeah. I think that a lot of times the intellectual stuff is, uh, is working our body. And a lot of times the physical stuff is working our mind and we don't even really recognize it. But um, I certainly have, and it's something that has helped me a lot. I mentioned, you know, really struggling in school and, you know, I finished uh, high school on like a fourth grade reading level. Like I just, for whatever reason, had trouble understanding and trouble getting it. Uh, you know, I had a learning disability and stuff like that. But at that time they didn't like diagnose it as anything in particular. They didn't. And I'm thankful that they didn't like, uh, try to put me on drugs cause that's what they do now. They put everybody on drugs. But I'm glad I sorted it out myself. You know, I'm glad I had, you know, supportive parents that were always there, supportive brothers that, that helped as well. And um, I'm glad it worked out the way that I had to like figure it out on my own. I think that that's, that's huge. That is a great way to do it. And for somebody, you know, somebody who grows up with a lot of anger, maybe they have to sort it out by, uh, you know, doing martial arts. Maybe they have to sort it out by doing boxing, you know, and then they're not even really recognizing kind of why they're doing it, mm-hmm. but it's working out all these problems they have. And I think that exercise and nutrition in combination uh, mm-hmm. is the most powerful drug on this planet. I, I don't think anything can even compare to it. I think it can replace 
nearly every drug that people end up getting on from, uh, you know, having high blood pressure, cholesterol issues, um, uh, blood sugar issues, all that stuff. I think that the combination of nutrition and exercise can uh, help solve just about anything, even mental illness. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, exercise is, in my opinion, one of the best antidepressants. It's also very good for preventing, you know, virtually almost any disease as well and keeping you healthier. So I, f- I feel just like, yeah, people tend to, they try to search for these quick fixes without actually honing in on what's, you know, the immediate, what, what, what's going to give them the immediate results, which would be like exercise and nutrition and getting proper sleep. So yeah, if you're, you're never going to reach your potential for health if you're not doing any form of like resistance training or you're not eating a clean diet and you're not sleeping properly. So those are the, actually the fundamentals everyone should start off from. Yeah, I really like fasting as well. You know, I like the challenge, you know, the challenge of doing a fast or the fat, the challenge of even just for a week to saying like, even for five days saying I'm not going to eat any sugar, you know, or fasting for 24 hours. I think these are all things that people need to just put into play. They just need to try it. Yeah. Just give it a damn shot. You know, it's going to be worth it in the end. It's going to, it's going to teach you stuff. Maybe it teaches you that you hate fasting, but that's okay. It teaches you something. You learn something from everything. For sure, for sure. Uh, I want to go back to uh, a little bit of your story. So, um, you know, you, you did some powerlifting for decades, uh, but uh, you weren't actually as lean as you are right now. And you used to be somewhat overweight. And I actually mentioned uh, your powerlifting story in my one of my books, Keto Bodybuilding, where I, where I talked about how you went from uh, being, like, in your own words, being a fat, fat powerlifter into getting <laughs> jacked and tanned, <laughs> and you used the ketogenic diet. So, like, can you get, get and talk about that story as well of uh, why did you want to lose weight and how did you do it? Yeah, you know, I used to be um, so in powerlifting. I, I worked my way up, you know, from uh, the lightest some of the lighter uh, weight classes that they had to offer because I started so young. I was uh, 181 pounds and then I went all the way up to 330 pounds. And uh, yeah, I was a fat bastard. I was a fat power lifter. You know, in powerlifting, you know, having more size can help you move more weight. And so that was part of the reason why I did that. But really what ended up happening is as I got above like 290, 295, I didn't really necessarily get any stronger. And I didn't really realize it. And then what happened from there is I, I kind of ended up in a hole because I just, I didn't know how to get out of it because I, I kind of thought before, before I got heavy, I had pretty good nutritional habits. Mm-hmm. And uh, after I got heavy, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to break some of these habits that I was developing just to be as big as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because I would eat like, you know, at night, I would eat pretty clean during the day. Um, I always had a big focus on protein, but there wasn't really like a set level of carbs or fat or anything. I was just trying to get calories in. So I'd eat things like burritos and stuff like that, but I'd still be conscious of, uh, I'd still be conscious of not having like a disgusting diet. You know, I wouldn't, uh, eat fast food all the time. A lot of times it's still home cooked meals and stuff like that. But at night I would have like ice cream or I'd have cookies or I'd have, um, sometimes ice cream and cookies, you know, I, I did a lot of things to just try to make sure that the scale was still, still moving upward. And so I'd finish off a lot of my days with a lot of calories, with a big calorie spike, pizza, things like that. And part of the reason I did that is I wanted to feel good during the day, but at night I was relaxing and it didn't really matter a whole lot. So I would just indulge on some food and I was trying to gain weight, trying to be bigger. And so, yeah, I worked my way up to 330 pounds and then it was like, all right, well, um, you know, that's over with. I, you know, I accomplished most of the things I want to accomplish in powerlifting. And uh, now it's time to drop weight. And I thought it was going to be easy, mm-hmm. but it was actually really, really hard because I developed such bad habits. I would eat in the middle of the night. Like I'd wake up and I'd eat in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of bad habits with uh, sweets. And so it was hard to break that. It was hard to break, uh, it was hard to break having like a sweet tooth. And <laughs> that was just really, really difficult. But the way that I did it was, you know, they say that you can't really break a habit and that you can only like change a habit. So you can take a habit and you can replace it with a better one. And that, I think you actually mentioned that uh, when we had you on our show uh, a little while ago. So what I had to do is I had to figure out how am I going to replace some of these bad habits? And at first I was like, well, let me just try to clean up the diet a little bit. So I went on like a paleo style diet. Mm-hmm. 
And that worked a little bit. That actually got like 30 pounds off of me. But just because I, even just because I had potatoes in and I had some other foods in there, it was still giving me cravings and I was still struggling to, to be consistent and to really stick with the diet. So I lost 30 pounds, um, but then I got stuck for a while. So from there, I was like, well, you give me an inch and I'm going to take a mile. So if you give me like any carbohydrates, I'm going to turn those carbohydrates into candy or ice cream or pizza. <laughs> and so I, I decided, you know what? Maybe just doing a ketogenic diet would be the right thing. Because I've done ketogenic diets in the past. They've always been really uh, useful. But I, was, I, I didn't want to start with one because I was like, I remembered how hard it was. Like, man, it was a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, more modern keto is so different. And it's, um, there's so many more options. There's so many more things out there. It's not as hard to get your hands on like MCT oil. It's not as hard to get your hands on um, just some of the foods and even some of the snacks that like I'm not even really a, a huge fan of. But when you're heavy and when you have these, uh, these bad habits, those snacks and those keto bombs and those things can be a nice replacement in the beginning to get you momentum. It worked well for me to get me started. And then at some point, you'll have to ditch those things as well because you'll probably overdo it on those things uh, yeah. also because they're highly palatable, which is what you're trying to run away from in, in, the, in the first place. And so yeah. it took a long time, but I ended up kind of locking in a, a keto-style diet. Um, and I went from 300 down to like 270. Yeah. And then from there, it was like more like a management of just overall food and just trying to figure out you know, I would still be like in ketosis, but I started to bring carbohydrates in mm -hmm. and I would be around a hundred carbs a day on some days, some of my training days. Um, and I'd still be producing good amount of ketones and stuff. So I kind of ride a line of like, um, being keto and not keto. And I guess like Mar as Mark Sisson points out, uh, I was probably like metabolically flexible. You know, I was able to kind of use carbohydrates or use fat. And um, I ended up with, uh, you know, a good diet plan that allowed me to, that was sustainable, that allowed me to lose uh, more weight. And then that kind of slowed down again. And then I used keto again and I made a bigger push and I got down to like what I'm, uh, what I'm at now, which is like 240, 230 range. Um, you know, so a hundred pounds, yeah, <laughs> lost a hundred yeah. pounds, but I utilized a few different methods and a few different techniques uh, along the way along and in addition to that I added in some fasting here and there and I still fast and I um, I really like that as well it's it's weird because you know if you tell somebody just don't eat carbohydrates it sounds so far-fetched to them not so much anymore because that's pretty common a pretty common diet but just don't eat this stuff it, it really cuts out a lot right it cuts out a lot of bs and then the same thing with fasting. Fasting sounds so dumb. Like, just don't eat. And you're like, well, that's idiotic. Like, that sounds like an eating disorder waiting to happen. And, it, and then also from a guy with, like, muscle, that, that sounds so dumb. You're going to lose muscle mass. Like, you can't do that. Mm. Um, but you can. You certainly can. And what does it do? It, it cuts down your decisions in the day. Yeah. And I think ultimately, I think that could be a huge, um, a huge thing that helps a lot of people. I, I realize that there's like these huge benefits of fasting longer. Mm -hmm. But even if people could fast for 14 hours, 16 hours, I think those are reasonable fasts that everyone can implement just to like, just to cut out a chunk of food that they don't really need. People just eat, they just eat too much. They eat too often. They make poor food choices. And it's not easy to make good food choices when there's, there's a lot of healthy food around, but there's all we see is the bad stuff because that's what you want to see. And um, each day kind of beats you down. You're fatigued, you're tired, you make bad decisions. And uh, one bad decision leads into you kind of just saying, screw it. You have that kind of screw it mentality. And next thing you know, things are kind of sliding downhill for you. And then you, you know, gain 10 pounds out of nowhere. So I think that things like fasting and things like cutting out carbohydrates, while they sound, you know, it sounds really, really difficult they're actually a lot easier than, uh, than, than being in between that. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, I totally agree. So to say that, you know, one of the reasons why, for instance, people have bad eating habits or they start to gain weight uncontrollably is that they're stuck in the habit loop. And as we know, habits are really hard to break just because they're habitual and uh, you don't really want to give them up. 
And, uh, you know, if you're trying to slowly wean off your habits by, you know, allowing yourself to have like a piece of cake or a piece of donut, then it's going to be much more difficult for you to completely break the habit of, you know, craving sugar. And actually, like a much more radical approach uh, would be more effective because you're going to cut off the kind of change of this habit uh, completely, whether that be with the fasting protocol or like a ketogenic diet or even like there are there are you know different diets like these potato diets where you're eating only only white potatoes and uh, like even a vegan vegan diet is an example of that because you're you're causing like this completely different shift in your eating behavior and just because you're putting yourself into this novel environment you're kind of forced to you know you're 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 able you're able to stick to this new habit much more easily because you're gonna you're kind of break broken free from those old habits and I think that's one of the most critical parts how do you break those habits. And uh, how do you actually kind of stick to not being addicted to this type of stimulus that you're kind of craving for at least like a short period of time as to kind of change this habitual uh, pattern? So yeah, fasting, keto, they're all just ways of uh, making the person experience this, uh, you know, breaking free much more easily. I think it's really important that you look forward to your food. Mm. And uh, when I help people with uh, nutrition and uh, they come to me and they're like, hey, you know what? I lost 30 pounds. And, um, the cool thing is it hasn't been that hard. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, I'm always like, that's what we need to hear more people say right there is that it hasn't been that hard because you can make a diet as hard as you want. I mean, you could, uh, you know, eat every other day and, uh, yeah. have, you know, a, a half a meal at, at night and you could lose a bunch of weight, but it's like, man, that would, that'd be, mm-hmm. that'd be really, that'd be pretty damn difficult, right? You'd be making your life really hard. And, and so I think that you should be you know, looking forward to your foods and your diet should be something that helps you manage your weight, that it's not really uh, intrusive into your life and it's not really uh, making you steer away from every single desire that you have right. when it comes to food. Because mm-hmm. I think that that is not, it's, it's just not that fun. You know, it's yeah. not that fun to like, it, it really depends on the person though. I mean, different people have different things they like to do. For myself, I'd like to have some drinks here and there with my wife. I'd like to have some wine. I probably will drink, uh, I don't know, somewhere between five and six glasses of wine in a month, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and some months I might not have any. It just depends on my goals. Sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I don't really need it for now. And, uh, you know, we're, I'll just be a little bit more strict for a while and feel like I don't need it. And that makes me happy uh, during those times too. But looking forward to your food is huge. So think about this for a minute, people that are listening. If you, if you cut out all food, and you fast for 18 hours, how good does a ribeye look? It looks fantastic, right? Now think about your kids, anyone that's listening to this that has kids, or think about when you were a kid, and you go in the kitchen and you tell your mom you're hungry. Like, man, I'm hungry. And you look in the pantry, and there's not a whole lot there. You look on the counter, there's a ton of fruit, and you look in the fridge, and there's yogurt, and there's some leftover chicken breast. What kid reaches in and reheats the chicken breast up <laughs> you know what kid is gonna like you know reheat uh, some uh, uh, steak or, or cook up some eggs which only takes like four or five minutes to cook up some eggs mm-hmm. you know what kid's gonna be like oh sick we got oranges and apples and they just sit on the counter and they peel the orange and they eat that <laughs> the kid is gonna say man we never have anything in this house <laughs> that's what my kids always tell me <laughs> and uh, you know they want like cereal or they want something like that but what happens is if you're on, if whatever diet that you're on currently, let's say it's four o'clock and somebody's like, hey, let's get some Chipotle. You throw down a big Chipotle burrito, you eat the chips, you have a big old soda with it, and then you get home and your wife's like, oh, I cooked a ribeye. <laughs> <laughs> How much of that are you going to really eat, right? You're yeah. probably not going to eat any of it. So eating poorly is a double negative and eating positively is a double positive because and maybe even a triple because uh, they're the bad habits that are associated with it. But the two negatives that you end up with, you ate something that you didn't want to eat. Um, you ate something that, well, not that you didn't want to eat it, but you ate something that doesn't align with your goals. And then you filled your stomach up with something that could otherwise be uh, some nutrient-dense foods that can actually do your body some good. Mm. So you just took up a bunch of real estate in your stomach with something that doesn't have nearly the nutrients that's that the uh, the ribeye would have per se, and so 
if you were to eat the ribeye, it would be more satisfying. It would be more satiating. It tastes really good. Now, the Chipotle burrito tastes fantastic, right? Like, we know, we know that. But the ribeye is pretty damn good, too. So, like, we're talking about replacing an old habit, you know, a bad habit with a good one. Like, I'd rather see you trade out that burrito, wait the extra two hours. Maybe if you're really dying and, and you're not fasting, um, you know, maybe you have a really small snack to break your fast, like some cheese or something like that or whatever fits into maybe some uh, hard-boiled eggs or something. You have something just to tide you over so that when you go home, you're not so ferociously hungry that you eat everything. And then you get to that, uh, that ribeye. But, you know, I think that these are some of the spots where we're uh, really making some mistakes. Is What I've been doing with my food more recently is like I'm not even trying to worry about what other foods come into my life whether it be rice or a potato or bread, like I don't even care. As long as I eat like two or three pounds of steak every day and as long as I have like four to six eggs every day, I'm good. Like so if I eat that and I end up wanting a couple other things on top of it, as long as I'm not like gluttonous with it, as long as I don't just eat whatever amount I want, then I go for it. And that's kind of the way I've been doing things lately. Yeah, it's an excellent point in the sense that um, you know, nutrient density is a, is a pretty important part, especially when it comes to trying to maintain somewhat of a, you know, semi-caloric restriction or at least like caloric maintenance. Because if you, if you do indeed, you know, waste all of your calories on these empty, empty calories that don't have any, you know, essential nutrients, then your body will be still craving for those essential nutrients and you're going to still be hungry versus if you were to be eating like the nutrient-dense foods, like organ meats or, you know, ribeye, then you're going to be so much satiated that much faster and it's harder to actually overeat because your body is always going to, you, you experience this palate fatigue as well. Then your body's going to start fighting and uh, the way you overcome that palate fatigue is you're going to bring into, bring into mix the hyperpalatable foods that are so easy to consume and uh, that actually hijack your uh, brain's reward mechanisms as well. Some other techniques I've used to kind of replace a bad habit with a better one um, was just to use protein powder. Now, you know, we're talking about nutrient-dense foods. Now, maybe protein powder is like dead, right? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not nutrient-dense. Maybe the only nutrients it has is macronutrients from like the protein or whatever. But mm -hmm. that's helped me a lot. You know, find a protein powder that tastes good. Because for me, again, being a big guy and, and like I, I weighed the same amount of weight that I weigh right now. I weighed when I was 16 years old. I'm 240 pounds. So, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a heavy person and I love, I love food and uh, I really like sweets a lot. And so while some people listening right now that might be heavier are thinking, man, that's a, that's a load of shit. Like you can't just replace your candy bar with a protein shake, but you know, give it a try and try to mix it with some stuff that, that you like that maybe you put a little bit of heavy cream in there. Maybe you put a little bit of almond butter in there. Like, you know, but again, it's going to be you going from the worst scenario, which is eating ice cream and pizza and stuff like that, to a better scenario. Maybe it's not the most optimal thing. Mm -hmm. And I like mm -hmm. to have um, some of these things on my diet that are like iffy. They're uh, borderline. They're, mm -hmm. they're somewhere in the middle. Like they, they're not really on the plan. Like I don't eat a lot of dairy necessarily, but I do have, I do have some yogurt probably almost every day. Mm -hmm. It's because I mix yogurt with protein powder at night. It's something that uh, helps uh, kill that sweet tooth of mine, and it gives me something to do like while I'm watching TV. And so yeah. I don't want to live in this, uh, I don't want to live, you know, deprived all the time. I don't want to live like, uh, I, I feel like I'm pretty damn dedicated to stuff. You know, I feel like I work pretty goddamn hard at things, and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to ever like, you know, feel like I'm miserable from like following a diet plan or following something. So for me, it's important to kind of like fill in those gaps of like uh, these cravings that you run into. And then every once in a while, when you have a craving, I think just go for it. Fuck mm -hmm. it. Just, just, just have at it. You know, think, think, about like, think about how it fits into your plan though, you know, and make, mm -hmm. try to make sense of it and say, uh, uh, does it really make sense for me to eat this pizza right now? Like, does that really, is that honestly going to help me to get back on my diet for another 50 days or 100 days or something? If it does, then it probably makes some sense to go ahead and enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, like because, you know, these uh, very restrictive ways of eating, 
the kind of pendulum tends to swing hard both ways, so to say. You may be strict and very disciplined for a short period of time, but uh, eventually you're going to break and, <laughs> and they, then, you, then you're going to experience this uh, rebound effect. You're going to binge and you're going to eat all the food inside of you and you're going to you know, forget about your training, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very important to gonna be, like you said, metabolically flexible as well as to have this sort of a somewhat of a more carefree uh, mindset about it just so you wouldn't uh, so just so your body wouldn't start fighting back in a sense because your body does need let's say you know optimally I, th- I think that your body would be beneficial more like a cyclical approach where you are cycling between cars and keto etc as well as like doing it psychologically so to say so you give yourself this uh, treat just so you would uh, be kind of satisfied for the upcoming you know weeks and, and days there's too many things uh, tied to and associated with some of these junk foods, you know, going and eating a hot dog at a baseball game and, uh, yeah. you know, having an ice cream truck come by your house when you're a little kid. And I mean, there's, there's too many good times that we've had uh, with these foods that aren't very healthy. Um, normally, when there's like a big celebration, there's like alcohol and there's like some junk food with it. Um, and and so because of that, I do think it's important that you feed that every once in a while. Now you don't have, now you definitely need control, right? And I think yeah. ultimately that's yeah. what we're talking about. You need to have, you need to have control uh, over your diet. And for somebody that is really struggling to stay on a diet, mm-hmm. uh, for those people, it's it's the most important thing that they do whatever they have to do to try to keep control. Because once they cheat on the diet, a lot of times that's when things tend to spiral. So they really have to kind of like, you have to kind of plan it out. You have to really think about yeah. it. Like how, how are you going to do this? And then also how are you going to exit out of it? Because if you're going to like eat a pizza on a Friday night and then it turns into you just going crazy Saturday and Sunday and then, you know, trying to reset on Monday and then you do that every single week over and over again, that's not going to be a very effective plan either. Yeah, you have you ha- you can't do it from this point of uh, not having control and also not being uh, mindful about it, so to say. And uh, you know, if you are able to control yourself, then it's perfectly fine because you know that you're not going to overdo it and you're going to practice moderation. And even now, I would uh, imagine to say that practicing moderation is actually more; it requires more discipline than being very restrictive and uh, not you know, going for the cake at all. Because it's much easier to take just one bite of the cake and not eat at all the rest of the cake versus not eating the cake entirely or like over, overeating the cake. So moderation is actually more difficult to practice than, uh, <laughs> than being uh, very restrictive and uh, very disciplined. Yeah, imagine uh, you know, your favorite food. Someone tells you, hey, take a bite of that, but don't swallow it. You got to spit it back out. <laughs> You'd be like, shit, man. Especially if you were fasting for like 72 hours or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. It's true. It's, it's also like, uh, it, it applies to like training as well, so to say. You know, you, you know you're supposed to have like a hard workout, but uh, you, you notice that, okay, I'm not actually that recovered. I need to actually take it. You know, the wiser move would be to take it slow and to maybe like have a, like a rest day or just like a lighter workout. And the kind of ego would want to still push it hard and prove to yourself that you got it versus, again, like the smarter version of yourself would be, okay, I'm going to you know, dial down and I'm not going to push it myself that much. Have you uh, lost control before with uh, fasting? Because you do a lot of fasting and I've, I've done, you know, 24 hour, 48, 72. And uh, I've found that uh, a few times I'll fast for a certain amount of time and then I... Uh, completely screw it up by probably consuming like double the amount of calories uh, than even if I didn't fast at all because I, I get so hungry. Mm. Uh, not, not really. Like uh, I, I usually when I like break a fast, then I always stay, I, I always like stay actually below my maintenance for that day because I don't want to put like too much uh, digestive stress on myself. And I actually maybe end up consuming only like 1500 calories or something coming from a three-day fast or something, uh, and such. But uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I've just able to practice, you know, enough metabolic flexibility and, uh, you know, do this sort of a cyclical approach to both fasting as well as keto that I don't really uh, have these massive binging <laughs> disorders or binging episodes. I'm always kind of very, very mindful about uh, how much food I'm consuming and I don't really like crave it 
uh, that much either because I'm kind of strategic about it. So, okay, I'm going to break the fast with those nutrient-dense foods that are going to satiate me faster versus uh, you know, lighting up that sugar craving uh, roller coaster and uh, then being miserable afterwards because I ate like the entire box of candy or such. So I'll just preemptively prevent that from happening. Uh, but yeah, like I think if you are doing uh, some form of like a cyclical keto diet and having like a carbohydrate refeed day, then you're also, you're also able to kind of prevent these cravings from uh, taking over and because you know like, okay, I'll, I'll be able to have like some carbs in, in a few days or something like that. And uh, that's going to satiate me that much. I noticed with fasting, you end up with like, uh, you're mentioning like a refeed. I kind of feel like there's some like super compensation going on. I feel like the uh, like amount of food that you can suck up, it feels like uh, maybe you could somehow take in more food than normal or, mm-hmm. or more nutrients than normal. And when I work out, um, you know, coming off the fast, once I've, you know, reloaded with some carbohydrates and reloaded with some food, I feel unstoppable. I feel like, you know, stronger than normal uh, in the gym. Have you noticed something similar? Yeah, like I always, always notice that when I'm coming from a longer fast, that your body is very sensitive to protein synthesis. And uh, yeah, your gut is also very recovered, so to say. You absorb all the foods and calories much better and your digestion is very smooth as well so yeah i always notice like after coming from fast then uh, although like during the fast i might have lost like some muscle definition or muscle fullness or the glycogen stores uh, after having broken the fast and had some like uh, food then the next following days i see like this kind of rebound effect like a positive rebound in terms of muscle growth and uh, yeah like the muscles you know like a sponge they absorb all those nutrients and you're very sensitive to both resistance training as well as like protein synthesis. So yeah, it's, it's quite magical actually to give your body this sort of a break as to make it more sensitive to the nutrients uh, in the future. How has, how has your uh, kind of training um, changed over the course of this, let's say, keto journey that you've been on? You know, I made uh, quite a bit of changes to my training over the last several years, but there's always kind of powerlifting is... Uh, is always a major part of it. I always have a, what I like to call an intent of, of the day. I always have a main movement and I usually go pretty heavy on those movements. Um, might be a bench, might be a squat, might be a deadlift, uh, or it might be some variation of one of those lifts. Mm-hmm. From there, I do what I call a secondary barbell movement, which is just like an assistance movement. It might be the same exercise just for like more reps. And then from there, I do typical assistance stuff that you see most people do, accessory work, uh, bodybuilding type stuff, uh, lunges and curls and tricep extensions and lat pulldowns and pull-ups and things like that. Um, there hasn't been a huge change, uh, but, uh, but what I would say is like if you're going to do like a long fast or if you're going to do like, you know, if you're going to do a keto diet and start to really lose weight, um, you might have to kind of keep in mind that uh, you might ha- not have the normal capacity that you've had because your body is still getting used to uh, the things that you're doing, you know, and especially in the case of, of keto, if you haven't really messed with it before, it would make sense that you don't feel great because uh, it's going to take some adapting. Your body's going to have to get used to it. And so it's totally acceptable to train a little differently. Um, if, if uh, you know, if you're in a ketogenic state and you haven't really messed with that before and you're in the middle of a training session and you feel like you're going to pass out, well, it's something you have to address and you might need water. You might need salt. Um, you might even just need to take a break. Like you, it's, it, you, I think people need to just kind of think that, uh, you know, sometimes it's possible. You just need to like go home, <laughs> you know, you just need to, it, you, there's, there's tomorrow, right? Like if you're in a compromising position, um, and I've had that happen many times in the gym where I'm like, Oh man, like I might, I might hit the deck here because I don't have a whole lot of calories in me right now. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, but I always, I always double and triple check kind of with myself to see, okay, where are you really at? Like, do you, let's try another warm up set. Let's see, you know, what that, what that feels like if we try it one more time. Okay. Let's take a little bit of a break and let's get some water. Let's get some salt, maybe even get some aminos or something like figure out some, even a protein shake during the workout, or maybe a Gatorade, something It might be enough to, uh, revive you. You know, if you're trying not yeah. to break a fast and you have less options, but those are all things to kind of uh, consider when you're dieting hard and you're trying to train hard. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like uh, the immediate voice may be somewhat deceiving <laughs> and uh, it may not tell you the actual situation in terms of how, how capable you are and uh, how recovered you are as well. Uh, but you also did like a recently a bodybuilding show and, yeah. uh, you know, can t- tell us uh, how did you go and uh, what did you learn? Yeah, the bodybuilding show was great. Um, I did really well in the uh, overall competition. I finished second, and uh, in my category, I was able to finish first. Um, I, I really wanted to, when I did that show, I really wanted to, you know, kind of uh, put a, a holy fuck exclamation point on it. And uh, I think I accomplished that. You know, I, I think a lot of people were probably looking at it uh, thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. He's going to try a bodybuilding show. But I think they might have thought it was like, kind of an Instagram thing or they might have thought it was they might have thought I would get with like halfway decent shape and then that would be that you know but I, I think I accomplished what I what I wanted to accomplish I think I got you know ripped up really really well and um, it was hard it was hard work but a couple things I've taken from the bodybuilding show that I did is number one is uh, you know I was probably only uh, you know, I used to think I was probably like 80, 90% in on my diet, and my training all the time. I was probably more like 60 <laughs> because bodybuilding is real kick in the ass. It's really, really, really hard. It's hard to even describe, but for those of you that follow basketball or even like soccer, it's like having somebody like defending you 24 seven. They're just, they're right on you all day long. In basketball, they call it a full court press. So it's like having a full court press on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week because there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to get a break. You, you're either sleeping, because sleeping is a huge part of it, uh, training, tanning, which it sounds dumb, but tanning takes time, um, doing cardio, you know, doing some cardiovascular training, trying to get a nap, eating, cooking. I mean, it's just, it really adds up, and it's really a crazy, crazy thing. It's like a full-time job, and you know, I was really lucky that I had my wife uh, help me out a lot with it. She helped kind of prepare meals and stuff. But um, every day to try to get myself in bed by around 8 a.m., you know, so I could wake up at like 3 to have breakfast and go train at 4 o'clock, it was hard. It was really, really hard. I loved it. It was fun. But it was really challenging. And so what I took from bodybuilding was the fact that I wasn't pushing hard enough just anywhere in my life. And so I, I'm able to like work harder. I was able to, I guess, um, I got a better understanding what it's like to actually really work hard because it really, it really put me up against the wall and forced me to work my ass off because you're going to stand up there and you're going to be in a little, uh, bikini basically in front of uh, thousands of people. And so you, you better figure out a way to look good. Mm-hmm. The other thing that it did for me is it taught me that you don't, you don't have to just train one thing when you work out. So I used to kind of just power lift and mix in a little bit of bodybuilding stuff afterwards. But now I, um, now it's like the, 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 each workout that I do has power lifting, bodybuilding, and cardiovascular training in it. Mm-hmm. All three in one session almost every single time. Sometimes if I'm too fatigued, I'll cut one thing out. Um, may, maybe I'm run down, so maybe I won't lift heavy that day. or maybe we get done with the end of the workout and you know, the week has gotten to us and uh, I'll cut out like the cardio part of it. But every single workout, we do something for our central nervous system, which is strength. We do something for our muscular system, which is bodybuilding. And then we do something for our heart, which is like cardiovascular training. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today's workout ended up, we ended up with uh, doing some sprints. We did six sprints on a ski erg for 15 seconds. And in between that, we did uh, some mountain climbers for 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. And in between that, to recover from that, we just walked. Uh, we did six sets of it. And it was brutal. It was hard. You know, it's like, it probably doesn't sound hard. But when you sprint at anything for 15 seconds, it's really difficult. Yeah. And uh, what I'm obsessed with now is sharing with people, like, these things might sound intimidating. They might sound hard. Keto might sound hard. Fasting might sound hard. Doing some of these sprints might sound difficult. Or some of this training. But it's not. It's actually, it's actually fairly easy. Um, maybe yeah. simple is a better word. It's very, very simple. It might not be easy to execute on it because you haven't done it before. Well, if you haven't done it before, guess what? It probably will be kind of hard at first, but it will get easier. It will get better. You can train your willpower. You can train your, um, your dedication. You can train all these things over a period of time, and you can become more dedicated. You can have a stronger willpower. 
Um, it's just like any other muscle that you have in your body. These yeah. things can be trained. You can train your mindset. And once you kind of get in on these things, you can get where, where you have ended up, where I've ended up, where my brothers ended up, where a lot of people here have ended up. You end up getting locked in. You get locked into it. And now, now we're trapped. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no way out for us. Like yeah. we're lifetime, you know, we're, we're in this for a lifetime and I want to pull more people into it because it, it, it makes me feel so good. If I, I always say, if I can make people feel one fifth of what I feel from training and nutrition, then I'll accomplish my lifelong goal of making the world a better place to live. Because I, I think that this stuff is so much fun. And I feel like I, I always kind of feel like it's a hidden secret, even though there's millions of people participating in fitness. Um, think about when you go, uh, when you go out somewhere and you see another guy with like calves and traps and stuff, mm-hmm. you give him a little like bro shrug, right? Like, and he shrugs back at you. It's like, <laughs> it's like this uh, hidden society, right? It, Cause you, it's rare to see people that are in really good shape. It's uh, more uncommon than it should be. And so, um, that's kind of stuff I'm really excited about, obsessed with. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite amazing, and you've done a good job in showing people how can you really, you know, go into these different fields, whether that be powerlifting or bodybuilding, and still excel at it without any like prior uh, knowledge. Although, like, they're somewhat similar uh, sports, but they do re- require like a whole lot of dedication. And like I said, it's like like a twenty-four hour sport, and there is no real off time. Everything is kind of revolved around uh, your uh, results and uh, your training. Uh, but you know you're all you're all, all already uh, you know what you what you're in your forties or something. Yeah, I'm forty two. Okay, forty two. So uh, how long are you planning on like training? Till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, till the day I die for sure. I love training. I, I love uh, I love working out, and um, you know one of my goals is uh, you know like today we did some squats and things like that and like i would love to be able to still squat like three plates you know 315 when i'm like 70 you know i want to still be able to you know move around and uh and not only move around well but also to be able to handle handle some weight on my back uh as i get older so i you know i love strength training and uh it'll always be a part of my life right right you you also like created the slingshot so that's i, I believe that's very useful for like uh, preventing these, uh, you know, injuries, et cetera, and promoting the longevity of the sport. So can you talk a bit about that as well? Yeah, the slingshot is a uh, supportive upper body device that I created years ago. It's for bench press, push-ups, and dips. Um, I tore my pec several times uh, powerlifting, you know, trying to lift these huge weights. Uh, my best bench press in competition in a bench shirt, is, uh, which is a supportive uh, piece of uh, equipment. Uh, 854 pounds and then uh, raw in raw power the thing I did a 578 pound bench press and um, I was training for a competition and I got hurt and I I was doing really well my squat was really good my deadlift was really good and um, I tore my pec and I was like really mad because I was like shit I wanted to you know do this contest and so I I was thinking like you know how do you you know how can I train kind of like through this injury or around this injury? Can I still compete? And so I said, screw it. You know, I'm still going to compete. Maybe in the contest, maybe I'll just bench press the bar. I don't know what it will end up being, but mm-hmm. I still want to squat. I still want to deadlift. And so I agreed to, to do the contest. And uh, in preparation for the contest, I put on a, um, a bench shirt, a really big uh, bench shirt. Bench shirt is a supportive device that allows you to bench press more weight. Um, but it's expensive. It's kind of weird looking. Mm. And so I put it on and I used it for my training and I was able to still go to the contest and still do really well. And when I got done with the contest, I really thought about that a lot. I was like, while my pec was torn, I spent eight weeks wearing this supportive device and my, my pec healed up, you know? So I was like, I wonder if I can create something that's a lot less complicated because a bench shirt is like so tight that you have to have like four or five people get it on. It costs like 250 bucks. And I was like, I wonder if I can create something that does something similar, but works a lot better because you can't even bring the weight all the way down to your chest and stuff like that with, so it's not anything really like a slingshot, but it did inspire the idea. And so, you know, I started thinking about these different concepts and ideas and 
I had this idea to take some knee wraps and basically wrap them around my elbows because when you, when you spot somebody in an incline dumbbell bench press, you spot their elbows. And your elbows are really all that move when you bench press. If you really think about it, your elbows uh, move the most, right? Like it's uh, that your elbows are going to travel kind of the most. And so I was like, if we just support the elbow, uh, then that will probably work the way that I was thinking. It will probably, it'll probably help people's shoulders, probably help people's elbows. Mm-hmm. It'll probably help people's pecs. Because a, a lot of the older men that I would run into, they would say, oh, I used to, I used to power lift. I used to lift heavy. I used to bench four plates. I used to bench three plates. And I was always like, man, I, I, I wonder why they all say they used to. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I found out it's because of injury. You get hurt. You get banged up over the years. And so I wanted to create a device that would really help a lot of those people that have been hurt, that have been injured. Um, and then I basically took a pair of knee wraps, had them sewn together uh, by a friend of mine, and I tried to slingshot out. And the first time I tried it, I tried it with 135 pounds and just did a bunch of reps with it. Then I put two plates on and did a bunch of reps with it. And I got up off the bench and just from like head to toe, I was just like covered in goosebumps. So I was so excited. I was like, this is it. This is like my lottery ticket. Now I just need to figure out how to cash this thing in and, and what to do with it from there. And so uh, from that point, it was a matter of like uh, trying to figure out, you know, how to mass produce it and that kind of stuff. But the, the, the hard part was over because like it's really rare, you know, it's rare for someone to have an invention. Uh, you don't really run into a lot of people that have patents. You know, so I have three United States patents nice. um, on the slingshot and on a few other products and stuff like that. And so that's one of the things I'm most proud of. Out of all the things I've done, uh, I've had one person over the year, over the years, come up to me and say, "Hey, I know who you are. You're that inventor guy." <laughs> and that was the greatest feeling that I've had. You know, out of everything I've done, mm-hmm. you know, out of you know, I've squatted over a thousand pounds and done some fun things like that too. Um, but that was really cool because to get recognized for something different, uh, was unique and kind of special for me. So yeah, the slingshot is a supportive upper body device that allows you to handle more weight, uh, for more reps and more sets by doing, by being able to handle more weight and by able, by being able to do more, you're able to handle more volume in your training. Mm -hmm. And anyone that knows anything about programming or training, uh, knows that, you know, getting more volume in your workouts is really critical. On top of getting more volume, you're not going to get hurt. You're, it's, you're lifting injury-free. No more pain in your elbows, no more pain in your shoulders. And so while you're adding to your training, you're not going to be necessarily uh, over-training. And the way that we use Slingshot here in my gym is we always just use it for three additional sets beyond whatever we do raw. So it's really simple. Like There's no reason to really try to complicate it. Whatever you did for your raw sets, if you did three sets of five, throw the slingshot on, add a little bit more weight, and do a, an additional three sets of five because it will allow you to handle about 10% more uh, than what you're used to. It will also help improve your form a lot because yeah. it pulls your elbows into the side where they need to be when you're bench pressing. It's great for dips and push-ups as well. So that's the slingshot. <laughs> yeah, like uh, looks like you don't need a college degree to be an inventor. <laughs> so <laughs> you can uh, right. still... Yeah, be Just, a mad, mad, yeah. mad scientist. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Well, you got to, you know, and I think um, it's a good lesson for everybody, you know. Yeah. Be creative and be resourceful and think about, you know, think about the different people that you have around you and, you know, just like how, like how can the people that are around you, how could they help, how can they assist? You don't always want to, you don't always want to try to like get stuff out of people. Mm-hmm. but there's probably a lot of good people in your corner that you have that can help you, that can assist you, that can inspire you. Like get around some, get around some kick-ass people mm-hmm. and it will motivate you. They may not like give you like an idea to invent a product necessarily, but somebody that executes really well on something like for yourself, you like to write books, right? Mm-hmm. So if you like to write books, get around other authors and you get around other authors that kick ass that, that, uh, have figured out how to how to have like New York Times bestsellers and stuff. It just elevates your game. That doesn't mean that you don't ever hang out with your normal friends ever again. Uh, but but it, it can inspire a lot of really cool things. Maybe it gives you an idea to do something totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that I think <laughs> I think in general I think uh, people just need to think a little bit more. They need to use their head and just you know just sit down and think like what is it that you do? Yeah. What do you like to do? 
And if you have something that can solve a problem, then you can become an inventor too. Mm, that's good words to uh, end the show with. And it's been great, great to talk with you. Uh, but uh, before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about you and uh, your products and your inventions? Yeah, so if you want to purchase anything, uh, you can check out uh, markbellslingshot.com. We have knee sleeves, elbow sleeves. We've got slingshots. Uh, we have apparel. We've got all kinds of cool stuff on there. I even have uh, pro- a hydrolyzed protein powder. I have a keto protein, which was one of the first ones to market. Um, so check out all that stuff at markbellslingshot.com. And then also check out my Instagram, which is just Mark Smelly Bell. Smelly is my nickname from my uh, two mean older brothers that made fun of me as a kid because I hated taking showers. But check me out on Instagram, uh, Mark Smelly Bell. I love teaching people. I've been putting out videos left and right, probably almost three or four videos for the last almost uh, like a week and a half now um, on on Instagram and Instagram TV, Mm -hmm. just teaching people how to squat, how to bench, how to deadlift. Um, how to like activate your lats or how to activate your hips when you're doing certain, certain movements and things like that. So check all that stuff out and then also check out our podcast. Check out Mark Bell's Power Project. We had you on recently, so make sure you check out that uh, episode. We went deep uh, into fasting and I really appreciate uh, you coming on the show and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, it was uh, great talking with you. And uh, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? I don't, I will answer the question, but I don't, I don't think I could have adopted anything sooner because I just think I'm the kind of person that really feels strongly about uh, things kind of unravel and unfold and happen the way that they happen. Um, it, it, you know, kind of almost along the lines of, you know, what would you say to your 17-year-old self or whatever? And it'd be like nothing because uh, everything had to happen the way it had to happen. And I wouldn't have been able to receive the information when I was 17 because I wasn't in the right spot for it, you know? So hmm. um, I, I wouldn't be able to take on habits uh, that I wasn't ready for. So... <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of the truth of it. I, I would say, though, what I would recommend is that people just try to try to focus on some way to get momentum. Figure out, figure out a way to get momentum mm-hmm. on anything. Um, it, it might mean that you wake up 30 minutes earlier than you currently wake up. It might mean uh, that you go to bed 30 minutes earlier than you normally do, like, Figure out a way to make your day a little easier. Like, are, are you sabotaging yourself? Are you sabotaging your diet? Are you, there's different forms of sabotage too. There's like, you go to a friend's birthday party and you have a couple drinks because everybody else did. That's mm-hmm. actually not that bad of a sabotage on yourself. Mm-hmm. That, that sucks. That's not the right way to do it, but it's very common. But then there's the other form of sabotage where you go out of your way to, to uh, go off uh, the plan that you agreed to be on, whether it's a mm-hmm. diet or business plan or whatever it might be, you specifically like drive to the grocery store and like buy ice cream. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's really, that's, you know, that's not a good, that's not a good sign. That's not a good thing. Think about the, think about the conversations. Here's what I want people to do. Think about the conversations that you have with yourself kind of towards the end of the day when you tell yourself you're going to wake up and be different the next day and try your best to figure out a way to stick to that. Mm. I think the only way to do it is to going to be to figure out some way to get momentum. And if you're really struggling, like if life is hard, man, life is hard and life is fucking long. Mm. And if you're really having a hard time, you know, get around some uh, old friends uh, that have always been there for you. Get around some family that have always been there. Find people that care about you. Mm-hmm. Find people that give a shit. And uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times that will lead you down kind of the right path. So think about that conversation that you had with yourself or the conversation you had with your uh, significant other. And you said you were going to lose weight and you said you were going to start going to the gym. And just, <laughs> and now, now we got to figure out a way to make it happen. And when you go to that person, if you do have that conversation with an old friend or significant other, 
make them, you know, have them try to make you accountable for it. Say, look, I, I need to change. I'm, I'm fucking tired of this and I, I need your help. But I know, I know that you love me and I love you, but if you really love me, you're going to like, I need help. I need you to, you know, if I, if I hit the snooze button, like I need you to yell at me, I need you to elbow me in the stomach as hard as you can. Cause, uh, I need to figure out a way to get momentum, stuff like that. Yeah. And the way you gain momentum is with like taking one step at a time and like one workout at a time, one healthy meal at a time, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's never going to be easy. You just have to keep doing it. <laughs> I like that message a lot. One healthy meal at a time because <laughs> you have a tendency to beat ourselves up so much, right? Like, oh man, I messed up. And now it's, you know, hey, you're, you're one meal away. Like, let's forget about Yes, you are one meal away from being off your diet, but let's focus more on the positive, which is you're one meal away from being back on your diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great message. And uh, thanks for coming to the show and looking forward to your uh, future, future work. And hopefully we'll see some more inventions. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to meet you in person one day. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'll see you maybe sometime in the year. Alright, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Apartment podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.